do you believe in the devil? Now, I'm asking that rhetorically. I want you to think about that. I want you to wrestle with that question. Uh, As we are in this final week of our letter series, we've been journeying through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, given sort of the highlights of of each week. You know, chapters one to three, we're focusing on the greatness of what Jesus has done. Chapters four to six are are calling us. It's our response. We've got to play our part. Uh, But from beginning to end, this letter has, in in a lot of ways, been bigger than life. It's, It's been larger than life. As Paul is focused not just on the physical world we live in, but if you look closely on the reality of a spiritual realm, every single chapter, everywhere you look, chapter one talks about spiritual blessing and bringing together of heaven and earth under Christ's authority. Chapter two talks about God's amazing grace and Christ's power uh, over sin and death and, and, and through the cross setting us free. Chapter three talked about God's love for us and how high and long and wide and deep is the love of God. It's without boundaries. It's this boundless love. Chapter four talked about unity and living as children of light. Chapter five talks about what it means to live within the Spirit's power and, and to live by the Spirit's power. And, and, and we hear these, and, and for, for so many of these, we go, yes, absolute. We, and we acknowledge the reality of, of a spiritual realm and of God's kingdom and the fact that we're not fighting against you know, this world. And, and, and then we get to chapter six, and most people pump the brakes, and I mean hard. They pump the brakes. Because we get to verses like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, hey, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And we read that, and most Christians who just went, yeah, God is real, God is good, went, oh, that's just a metaphor. Lots of people, you know, that's just a, I, that can't be real. Here's the deal. Lots of people want to believe in God. Nobody wants to believe in the devil. That's just the reality. In fact, Barna did a, a study in the early 2000s surveying Christians regarding their perceptions of God, Jesus, and the devil. And by the way, since 2000, the results have gotten worse, not better in this survey, okay? But what he found in, in the 2000s, early 2000s, is that while 78% of believers say, I believe God is the all-powerful creator of the universe, uh, who act, is active and who rules in the world today, 40% of them, or four out of 10, uh, said they believe Satan isn't real. Four out of 10. He's just a symbol of evil. He's not really, Satan's not really real. He's just a symbol. Another 19% say, I, yeah, I think I somewhat agree with that. When it comes down to it, only 26% of Christians who were surveyed said, I believe Satan is real and, and that he's actively fighting against us in this world. In other words, most people who believe in God don't believe in the devil. And since increasingly more people don't actually believe in God, you'd be fair to say they don't believe in the devil either. Deepak Chopra, who's a a new age author, wrote this, this statement. He said, healthy people do not have any need for Satan. And that pretty much sums up modern thinking. The world has relegated the devil to the pages of mythology, and most of the church actually agrees that that's where the devil belongs. He's just an idea. Uh, and yet this is so problematic. And the reason this is so problematic in our world is because you don't push it back against darkness that you don't believe in. You don't push back against darkness you don't actually know is out there. And yet Paul is adamant at the end of this letter, there is a battle waging that we need to acknowledge. And yet most of the world and most of the Christian world is simply ignoring it. You see, Satan's greatest triumph is causing people to not take him seriously. 
One of the greatest reasons for the weakening of the church is that it's full of people who believe in Jesus, but who deny the reality of the spiritual battle Jesus came to fight. See, the value of a savior in your everyday life goes way, way down if you aren't aware you're in desperate need of saving. And so many churches fail to take the devil seriously and fail to acknowledge the reality of a spiritual battle. And yet the Bible has a lot to say about a very real enemy and a very real battle. Uh, He appears for the very first time in Genesis chapter three. And the last time we see him is Revelation 20. Every single New Testament writer mentions him. Jesus spoke of him often, was even confronted by him as he was fasting in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. He's described as a fallen angel, one of God's angels, who turned his back, who tried to take control, and, and who's been fighting against God ever since. Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world, and Paul himself says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the mindset of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So he he mentions the God of the world who's blinded the sage. Paul's aware of a very real enemy. And and I think the way he the reason he ends this letter the way he does is, is because he wants to acknowledge the spiritual realities of this world. And he does so by reminding the Ephesians who the real enemy was. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter six. If you're In one of our Bibles, we're going to be on page 706. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. You can follow along. If you don't own one, please, please grab one and and follow along. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's wrapping up this letter to the Ephesian church. And in some ways, he saved the best for last. In other ways, this is kind of a culmination of all he's written. He says, in light of everything I've shared in this letter, in light of everything you've learned in the series, this is my response. This is what Paul says, at least to them and also to us. He Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the first of two commands Paul's gonna issue to the church in this chapter. And I'm gonna ask a rather obvious question here, okay? Who is the source of all the power? Is it me or is it God? Yeah, it's God. The the simple answer to that is it's God. And, And we answer that question as Christians so easily, like almost without thinking. Like, I mean, of course it's God. He's the one with the power. And yet, even though we answer that question fast, for some reason, we don't live like we actually know that's the answer. See, what this is implying is that human effort is inadequate, that the war we're waging is not against humanity. And yet, for so some reason, so many of us live our lives trying to take on the world on our own strength. And so Paul reminds us, hey, our strength comes from the Lord. In this life, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. All around us, a war is waging for the souls of humanity and the strength we'll need to flourish in this world and to fight the battles that we're gonna come up against in the spiritual realm can only come from being connected with the Father. And that leads to the second, much more familiar command in verse 11. Paul writes, put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So this is a call to prepare yourself for a very real spiritual battle. And you might say, well, where was Paul when he was writing this letter? Well, this is known as one of Paul's prison letters. Paul was actually writing this letter from prison. He was actually imprisoned in two different places, but in this case, it was in a Roman prison filled with Roman soldiers 
And it's even possible because of his profile as a prisoner that he would have been literally chained to a Roman guard, chained to a Roman soldier while writing this. And so this this metaphor of armor was pretty readily available, right? It would have been right in front of him and, and, and uh, you know, something he couldn't have ignored. But I want to I want to acknowledge one key phrase here. Verse 11, I want to focus on this phrase, stand firm. Stand firm, okay? Israel was in a time of Roman oppression. Paul was literally chained up in a Roman prison. And yet this wasn't about overthrowing the Romans physically, Paul was relaying a message about what it looked like to hold your ground in hostile territory. You need to hear this before we move on, okay? There are often times throughout God's word where God's people do not have home court advantage. They are living in a land that's far from God. There's hostility towards those who claim to follow Jesus. Every day their faith is being tested and it's being questioned. The culture around them is far from God. This is one of those times. And we are living in one of those times. The culture around them is just far from God. Isn't the temptation when culture starts to get further and further from God, isn't the temptation to fight back against people? And what Paul is reminding us is that the battle we're in is primarily a spiritual battle and the armor we're called to put on here is focused not on assaulting the world around us, but on protecting the soul within us. That's the reason for God's armor. So you need to hear me when I say this. The world around you isn't evil, it's lost. Like, do you understand? The people around you are not your enemy. The worst people on this earth are still people. And yes, they may be aligning themselves with evil and living evil lives, but in God's eyes, they're people who are still worth redeeming, created in the image of God, people that Jesus came to save. And while many of them are choosing to live in evil ways, they're ultimately someone God would love to redeem. So our battle isn't against the people around us. It's against the powers of evil that are dominating our culture that are causing people to do evil things. So the real enemy is not a physical person at all. The real enemy isn't a political enemy. The real enemy isn't abortion doctors or the people who run the pornography industry. It's not drug dealers. It's not human traffickers. It's not corrupt leaders. It's not the person who abused you. It's not the unfaithful spouse. It's not the government. It's not world powers. While we are facing tangible and real threats in this world that we cannot ignore and we we need to not stay in dangerous places and situations, listen, our real enemy is actually the devil and he's waging war. Our real battle is spiritual and we need God's power and his protection that his armor can provide. That's why in verse 11 it says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategy, all the strategies of the devil. What I'm noticing in this world is that so many believers are living only partially protected. Okay, Paul emphasizes the need to put on the full armor of God. It's In this list is everything we need to keep the faith and to stand firm in our faith in the midst of an unbelieving world. And so now, more than ever in our lifetime, we need Christians who are willing to stand firm in their faith, but to do so in a way that shines light into the darkness. That's what we were talking about last week. In fact, Paul doubles down on this in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on every piece, every single piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Listen, it takes God's power and God's protection to keep us safe. 
We need both his power and his protection because our struggle is not against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual realms. And that battle is more real than the world we're living in in our flesh. And you know that's true because you can feel it, can't you? Every single day. You ever notice you walk into some places and you just feel the presence of God in those places? You ever notice you walk into other places and you can feel the darkness? You can feel the oppression in those spaces? Right now, so much of our culture is living in dark places. There's in our culture a spirit of division and anger and hatred and judgment in our country. There's a spirit of consumerism, a spirit of busyness, a spirit of individualism. How do we stand firm in our faith in a world where everything is pushing against the things of God? I'll tell you how. We find our strength in him and we put on the full armor of God. So let's look at those pieces. Verse 14 says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what really is the armor of God, okay? Well, God provides six aspects of the Christian life, six areas that when we focus on getting these areas healthy, they protect us in the spiritual battle that's waging all around us. So what I want to do is I want to zoom in on each piece of armor uh, and unpack the meaning of each and what they mean to our faith. But I want to do it a little differently than maybe you've heard it before. Because uh, a lot of times we get stuck on the metaphor or the picture that is provided in scripture and we lose the bigger truth. Okay, so as I lay these out for you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the attribute first and then I'm going to tell you what part of armor Paul associated with that attribute. So here are six key attributes to a spiritually protected life. That's what we're looking at. Six key attributes to a spiritually protected life. Attribute number one, truth. Truth. One of the things Paul wants us to note is that in this spiritual battle, uh, godly character is central to standing firm. Character matters. So in this picture, the order of the pieces of armor are put in order on purpose because they're listed in the order a Roman soldier would have put them on. Okay? So, it's important to note, truth has to come first. Before we put anything else on, we should put on truth. And Paul compares truth to a belt, which paints a clear picture, okay? Now, we use belt to keep our pants from falling down, or if you get as old as me, to keep our pants from riding up, okay? Uh, but in the first century, belts were completely different. They were basically having a toga party. Like, everybody's wearing long, flowing robes. It's like a, a thing. And, and the belt was used to gird up or, or literally bind up that material before anyone could work or play or fight. So we found a fun chart that we thought, how to gird up your loins. This is what it looked like. There's a diagram with pictures. Uh, it, it might be a little risque, I think, in a couple of them. But this is what you did. You, you, you tied this thing up so that you could fight. They had to use the belt to capture the extra fabric so they wouldn't trip and fall when they were doing whatever they were doing. It's important for you to see that picture because you need to see what Paul's saying. A foundation of truth is critical to our spiritual walk. Truth should surround our lives like a belt around our waist. It's at the center of the armor of God on purpose. This is referring to more than just being honest. Okay, It's a reference to a life that is built on the word of God. 
Scripture should be the foundation for how we live. It should be our truth. It should inform how we raise our kids. It should reform how we do business and how we vote and how we spend money and how we serve our community. When we know God's word, we can lean on that truth in hardship. In fact, in John 17, Jesus actually prays about this for us. He says this, make them holy, how? By your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy. How? By your truth. Three times he hits on this. It has to be central. And so the first attribute is truth, this belt of truth. The second attribute is righteousness. Righteousness is closely related to truth because if truth is about knowing what is good and right and true, righteousness is about doing what is good and right and true. Because it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to do it. What does it look like to faithfully live out truth in our lives? That's what righteousness is. And Paul describes righteousness here as a breastplate designed to protect the core of our being, especially our heart. To neglect what we know to be right according to God leaves gaping holes in our armor. Listen, if you've ever confessed your sins to God in those moments where you're made right before God, where you, you confess, your, there's like nothing that brings a greater sense of peace and confidence in knowing I'm right before my heavenly father. But we also know what it's like, don't we, all of us, to have hidden sins. It's like you constantly feel exposed and vulnerable, like people can see right through you, Okay. And what happens with hidden sins is we think they're hidden and they're not, and it turns us into spiritual cowards. In Proverbs 28, verse one, it says this, the wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold as lions. Well, that boldness comes from living a righteous life, from living rightly. And when we choose to live in unrighteous ways, we're leaving ourselves wide open to temptation and attack. But when we, when we choose to compromise morally, when we choose to compromise spiritually, we're leaving our hearts open to the enemy's attack because the choices we're going to make in life, will either they will either fortify us against Satan or they will make us easy prey for Satan. And that all comes down to not just do I know what's right, but am I doing what is right? That's righteous living. Attribute number three is gospel peace. Verse 15 says, for shoes... Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Now, this one I never made sense to me. It was all seemed a little strange to me as a kid. But what you have to understand about the picture here is just how cutting edge Roman shoes were at the time. Often people wore flimsy sandals or even no shoes. And, re- and yet the Roman shoes they were using gave them a huge advantage. Uh, they, uh, their innovation allowed them to travel further faster and to always stay ahead of their enemies. They had heavy soles They had uh, little nail-like spikes in the bottom for traction, proving once and for all, Italian shoes really are better. But uh, Paul says, for shoes, put on gospel peace. What does that mean? Well, the thing that will always make you ready for battle, the thing that will help you stand your ground in your faith, the thing that will make you always fully prepared is the peace from knowing the good news about Jesus from knowing that you're saved and living ready to share that good news with others, okay? So uh, part of the necessary equipment in this spiritual battle is a readiness at any moment to lean on the truth of Jesus Christ and to take the good news of peace to others. Knowing I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful in helping me me stay firmly planted in a lost world. 
Knowing the truth about Jesus keeps my feet firm when all the lies around the world are so loud all around me. Nothing gives us better spiritual traction in life than the simple truth, Jesus died to set me free. Whatever's true in life, Jesus died to set you free. And nothing gives us more firm footing than that. Are you living in the freedom that comes from the peace of knowing Jesus died to set me free? That's number three. Number four, fourth uh, aspect here is faith. Okay, there's something incredibly powerful about true faith. Hebrews 11 describes faith as evidence of the unseen. And so many would say, well, I have faith in God. I would just have more faith if God would show me what he's gonna do. But far too often, faith is needed when we can't see God moving. It's the evidence of things not seen. And what we're supposed to do, we can, we can look back on our past and all the times God has been faithful and looking back at the past, his faithfulness in the past is the basis of our faith today. Because even when it seems like in the present, like nothing's going right, even when it seems like we can't see God working, we stand firm in our faith in the present because we know he was faithful in the past. I want you to notice what Paul says here in this verse. Verse 16, he says, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. A couple huge things to note here. First, it says, in addition to all of these. So what it's saying is, listen, in everyday life, knowing the truth, living a righteous life, having peace that you know yourself, like those three things are enough by themselves to protect your heart. But sometimes when things get really bad, you need more. And Paul is saying, when things don't seem to be enough, that's when you really need to grab onto your faith the most. The second picture here is this picture of holding up the shield of faith. So the reality is that you always have your faith and faith can protect you from any attack, but it only works if you actually choose to use your faith. And so Paul describes faith like a shield that you have to pick up. The Roman shields were these, these large shields covered with leather, leather. They would soak them in water, not only to stop arrows, uh, but to extinguish the flame-tipped arrows of the enemy. This wasn't some little tiny round shield we're talking about. It was a rectangle. It was roughly the size of a refrigerator door. And maybe the most important part of the metaphor is it locked into the shield of the guy next to you, the gal next to you. So, so as you fight these battles, we are connected together. My shield isn't just about protecting me. It's about protecting us. I can't tell you the number of times in my life I've lacked faith and had to lean on the faith of my brothers and sisters in Christ. It was designed to protect the person next to you as well. That's the picture of the power of faith, okay? Now, listen, some of the armor we wear all the time. We, we live in truth. We live right lives, all that stuff. Other pieces, you have it all the time, but you really need to lean on it different in key moments of life. That's the picture of faith. Though you always have faith, sometimes you just need it more. When Satan is messing with your thoughts and feelings and he's lying to you, when your imagination gets away from you, when fear is running rampant, when lies are running through your brain, these are the fiery enemies that the that, uh, darts that the enemy wants to hurl at you. And in those moments, we need to grab hold of our faith and the faith of those around us because faith means believing more than just God exists. Faith means being convinced he always keeps his promises even when I can't see it. This is why we're encouraging all the time to get involved, to find biblical community, to choose to do something, to, to hear God's voice and serve him in faithful obedience, to find somewhere to plug in. It's because when we do life together, when our, my faith is weak, I can borrow yours as we journey together. Picture number five, attribute number five, salvation. Nothing keeps you more grounded in your faith than the reminder of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
King David wrote in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And the greatest place this is challenged isn't even in our hearts. It's in our minds. Like, I don't know how often I claim to know I'm saved by faith and then I live as if I've forgotten and I try to earn it through works. Anybody fallen into that pattern? Paul describes salvation as a helmet to protect our mind. Like, let me put it this way. Do you know God loves you? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that he sent his son to die for you? Do you know Jesus died for you? Do you know that it's by grace that you are saved just by putting your faith in him? You don't have to earn it. There's nothing to, that is the power of the truth. I know you know it, but do you know it? Paul says, put on salvation to protect your mind and don't ever take it off. Attribute number six is scripture, or picture number six is scripture. And by the way, this is the only weapon Paul describes here. Hebrews says God's word is living and active and sharper than any sword, divides between our soul and our spirit, judging the thoughts and intents of our heart. So I want you to note, this is the second time in these six attributes that scripture appears. The first is the belt of truth. That knowing God's truth for yourself is what kind of binds you up in, and it gets you ready for battle. But here, the sword of the spirit, the word of God is, is a weapon. The sword is your weapon. But listen, it's not a weapon against your neighbor. So many Christians are guilty of wielding the word of God to cut their neighbor down. The sword was never meant to be a weapon against your neighbor. The world around you isn't the enemy. We have, again, a very real spiritual enemy we're fighting against. We're actually battling the enemy for our neighbors, on behalf of our neighbors. We're guilty of using the sword that was meant to, to battle the enemy to, to cut down the very people we're meant to save. The world around you isn't the enemy. We're here to fight against the attacks of the real enemy, the devil. But listen, it doesn't matter how sharp this sword is if you don't know how to use it. It can only protect you if you know how to use it. If you're not familiar with God's truth, if you do not know his word, you will not be ready to defend the attacks of the enemy, which is why you gotta spend time in your word. You can come to church, you can listen to sermons, but listen, coming here and watching me swing around this sword doesn't equip you at all to fight a battle. It does not equip you to, to defend yourself. You gotta pick up his word. Now listen, I know this feels like a lot, and I know what we're talking about feels heavy, but here's what I believe to be true about the armor of God. The weight of the armor brings a greater awareness of the battle. What do I mean? I think there are a lot of people walking around clueless that there's a war even going on. When you put these things on, when you begin to feel them in your life, when you begin to guide your life by God's truth and, and, and seek to live right and stand in the peace of the gospel, when you begin to live out your faith and believe in your salvation and, and learn God's scripture, it reminds you there is an enemy out there who hates you. And this life truly is a spiritual battle. So here's my prayer as we end this series. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you would stand firm in your faith.